The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm superstar Frank Morano. Well, the New York Times did an article on Mayor Adams a couple of days ago, specifically on his wardrobe. Now, I read it. I thought it was pretty interesting because I think a lot of folks wonder, how does Mayor Adams afford to dress as well as he does? Because he's got some of the nicest suits I've ever seen, and I would think a lot of them are pretty expensive, on a public servant's salary. Now, the mayor does well. He makes six figures. But still, how does he pay for his wardrobe, and what's the story with his wardrobe? It was an interesting article. I thought it was really interesting. The headline is called Inside the Mayor's Closet. Well, this Times article has caused a firestorm because people are claiming that it's racist. So friends and foes of the mayor alike both jumped to accuse the New York Times of a racist focus on the second black mayor's personal style following this article by Sarah Maslin Neer. Howard Wolfson, a longtime top aide to former Mayor Mike Bloomberg, who's friendly with Adams, said on Twitter, I'm old enough to remember when David Dinkins was called a fancy schwarze because he dressed too well. History repeats. This is not history repeating at all. Absolutely not. If you don't know what a schwarze is, it's a Yiddish racial slur. So the Times story investigates a question that a lot of people have raised in private conversations. How can Mayor Adams afford so many gorgeous suits? And the simple answer in some 1500 words is he has money and it's not that expensive. Patrick Gaspard, who's black and worked under Dinkins and then President Obama, said this was a cheap attack that had disturbing racial undertones. I can't believe that this got past the editors. Now, Gaspard is no friend of Adams. He worked against him on behalf of Mayor Wiley, but he basically is saying this is racist. Adams' aides and allies are quick to call out racism whenever they see it, even when it's not visible to anyone else. They have no problem playing the race card. And they did it again here by retweeting Howard Wolfson. They've also criticized the investigations into Adams by black prosecutors, by the way, with higher class backgrounds than the mayor. And there's a particular obsession with the New York Times, which, according to Adams spokesperson Fabian Levy, when he spoke to Politico, he said the Times continues to focus on silly stories. Even New York Times darling Brad Lander couldn't help but pause from lambasting Adams' record to jump and side with him, quote, if I were going to do an audit of his wardrobe, it would just be to get style tips. The mayor does get dressed well, but I don't think doing an article about his wardrobe and how he dresses, I don't think that that's racist at all. I think it's so lame, these people that jump to claim racism when there clearly is none. Give me a break. Beam me up! To be continued. Vacation starts with VA. Whether you're feeling beachy, mountainy, or every E in between, you'll find all that you love all in one trip to Virginia. Start yours at Virginia.org. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 WBC. Local Spotlight. Good morning. 
everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. The New York Post had a very interesting article over the weekend that the MTA has begun installing camera equipment on New York highways to prepare to monitor a controversial $15 congestion toll to enter Manhattan's central business district south of 60th Street as early as May. License plate readers have been attached to a pedestrian walkway above the FDR Drive at East 25th Street that will be used to track vehicles that go into the toll congestion zone or stay on the highway. The sensors are being installed on Route 9A, the West Side Highway, for the same purpose. Both highways are excluded from the toll under state law, but motorists who drive along the FDR Drive are worried that the equipment erected there is a fig leaf that the MTA could eventually use to charge tolls on the state highway. They have every reason to be concerned. So the state legislature would have to amend the law in order for that to happen, but they will have the infrastructure to do exactly that. You know, it was uh, my friend Joe Borelli, the minority leader of the New York City Council, who posted a very interesting tweet, and I can't say it any better than he did. Why is it that the MTA, when it comes to finding a way to dig into all of our pockets and the pockets of working class people, all of a sudden they're able to master sophisticated technology. They essentially become MI6. But when it comes to just the normal function of the MTA, they can't even put up new turnstiles that don't result in pandemic fare evasion. Seems like when it comes time for picking our pocket, they can figure out a way to get everything to work. But when it comes time to just running the subways and buses, all of a sudden, nothing works. The worst of both worlds. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. You know... At the height of the COVID pandemic, there were many of us that warned that all of the money that was being sent to cities, to states, to individuals, ostensibly for COVID purposes, was going to be used on anything but. Well, that has certainly turned out to be the case in New Jersey. State and local agencies in New Jersey bought at least $35 million worth of equipment from a local company that rebranded banned Chinese surveillance cameras made by Daiwa Technology, a company that has been implicated in the surveillance of the Uyghur people in Xinjiang. At least $15 million of the equipment was bought using federal COVID relief funds. This is according to a federal criminal complaint. The feds have charged Tamir Zachary, the CEO of this New Jersey-based surveillance company, Packet Talk, with three counts of wire fraud and a separate count of false statements for repeatedly lying to state and local agencies about the provenance of this company's surveillance cameras. So in 2019, the U.S. government banned the purchase of these very cameras, Daiwa cameras, using federal funds because their cameras have been implicated in human rights violations and abuses in the implementation of China's campaign of repression, mass arbitrary detention, and high technology surveillance against Uyghurs and other members of Muslim minority groups in Xinjiang. Well, unfortunately, this company 
got those very same cameras, the ones that were banned, and sold them to cities and states. Now, I'm glad they were able to catch this, and I'm glad this fella is likely going to be punished for this. But it makes you think, with all this money floating around, how many other similar instances was there of this kind of thing? Are there other states, other municipalities that were duped into purchasing these prohibited Chinese cameras? My bet? You better believe it. Beam me up! To be continued. Again, the main program followed. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 WNBC. Local Spotlight. I'm sure if you're a film goer, you are familiar with Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith has been a director, a writer, an actor who's been around a long time. He did uh, Clerks and Clerks 2. He did Dogma. He did uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. He's done a whole bunch of films and uh, Mallrats he did. And now this New Jersey director wants to save the Atlantic movie house. This was the movie theater of his childhood. The Atlantic Highlands Theater, formerly called Atlantic Cinemas, went dark following the mandatory COVID shutdown, suffering the fate of so many theaters during the pandemic. After it was revived the next summer, Kevin Smith bought the theater and renamed it Smod Castle Cinemas. So the clerk's director has hosted famous friends for film screenings and Q&As at the theater. It's not unusual for such events to sell out. Barbenheimer, the July confluences of Barbie and Oppenheimer, those apparent saviors of cinema definitely helped draw people back to the theater also. But other movies... Not so much. So theatrical exhibition, according to Smith, from what he told NJ Advanced Media, he says theatrical exhibition is in the toilet. So now he's pulling out all the stops to keep the theater open. On Saturday, Smith and Smodcastle held the Smauction, a memorabilia auction of props, costumes, including items related to the director's Jersey films. And they're selling this stuff to stay alive until May. I wish I would have known about this in advance. I would have liked to have gone. And after the auction, they hosted a 15th anniversary special screening of his film, Zack and Mary Make a Porno, which I enjoyed very much. That was with Seth Rogen and Elizabeth Banks. And the event page on the movie theater's website carries a warning, and the message is a nod to Smith's penchant for Gabby storytelling. This is what it says. Every Smod Castle show at which Kevin appears runs very, very long. The night usually starts 15 to 30 minutes late, then kicks off with a fundraising auction to support the theater, which includes rare, one-of-a-kind props, mementos, and signed items. Post-auction, there's an intro to begin the main program, followed by a Q&A and group discussion. We suggest you plan your night accordingly. I love that. I'm going to try and go to one of these, but uh, Kevin Smith is trying to keep the theater of his youth open. And I love this. I wish there were more independent theaters. Unfortunately, it seems like more and more of the movie houses around the country are just owned by theater chains. And look, I'd rather have that than no theaters at all. But I'd love to see more independent multiplexes. And I am hoping that Kevin Smith is successful in this mission. I may invite him on this program to talk about it because I love what he's doing here. Beam me up! To be continued.